Keeping clean and neat is a matter of forming good habits and letting them... The Outline. World Dispatch. It's Wednesday, December 13th, 2017. I'm Adrian Jeffries. Today on the show, Gabby Del Valle talks to us about fashion retailers who rip up unsold goods. And Anne Derigayo asks, did Moogfest mess up a conversation about inclusiveness? Here's the dispatch. Culture. Here in New York City, it's not uncommon to find piles of discarded items on the sidewalk. Sometimes they're accompanied by a sign that says free or take what you need. But this week, Twitter user at SusanNow3 noticed a heap of abandoned coats and blankets left outside the Eddie Bauer store in Union Square. The pile could easily have been used for a donation, but it turned out that every item was cut up and unwearable. She wrote, quote, This happens while thousands in New York City will sleep on the streets tonight. Gabby Del Valle has been reporting on this, and it turns out that it's really common for retailers to destroy unused goods. Hi, Gabby. Hey, Adrian. How widespread is this practice? I spoke to people at a few stores who said they were instructed to do this while they were working there. Uh, When I worked at Urban Outfitters in 2013, employees were required to destroy um, like accessories and home merchandise that didn't get sold after being marked down for a long time. I talked to people who worked at Nordstrom, Juicy Couture, Michael Kors, and Dillard's, and also Spirit Halloween for some reason, who all had to destroy items either that were kind of damaged or just like on sale for a long time. Why don't they just donate this stuff to people in need? It depends on the company, but generally the thinking is that if you are a company and then you donate all these all of these items to Goodwill or whatever, you're then opening yourself up for like people returning the merchandise at your store, which like is nonsensical to me because you could just say we're not accepting this return, and that would be that. Another thing is that they apparently don't want to undervalue the brand. In 2010, a JCPenney employee at a store in Pittsburgh said that he and other employees were required to destroy Ralph Lauren merchandise, and a JCPenney spokesperson said that it was a way of protecting the brand from being degraded because if they were to donate it, then the brand wouldn't be valuable anymore because people can just get things for free. So why would they pay money for them? Or, you know... Lots of poor people would then own Ralph Lauren, and you wouldn't want that. Yeah, and, like, also, like, if this is merchandise that you can't sell, then, like, how valuable is it really? There is a New York Times story from 2014 that quoted Christina Montanaro, who wrote in the Vanderbilt Journal of Transnational Law that these companies did not spend millions of dollars in high-end advertising only to be associated with shelter chic. And this practice isn't even limited to luxury brands or even cheaper brands. This also happens with counterfeit jerseys and caps and other gear that gets seized by the federal government before the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think it was after Hurricane Katrina that a bunch of lobbying firms for the companies that make this clothing said that the government couldn't even donate counterfeit clothing to people who were basically like hurricane refugees because it would also devalue the actual apparel. And I did talk to one person who works at Spirit Halloween who told me that she also had to destroy a bunch of merchandise. Like, she would be ringing something up and it would come up on the register as, like, do not sell 
And then she'd have to tell the person, like, sorry, I can't sell this to you and, like, have to go out back and destroy it. Did she know why? No. Very mysterious. How are the employees destroying this stuff usually? Uh, It depends. There are rumors that really high-end brands will burn things, but I haven't been able to track anybody down who's done that. At Urban Outfitters, the most common thing was just smashing stuff. I have a friend who, like, had to rip up a bunch of scarves and socks so people couldn't wear them. I have a friend who destroyed a couch. He told me he had to drill holes in vinyl records that didn't sell. I spoke to someone who worked at Michael Kors, Juicy Couture, and some other high-end retailers, and she asked us not to use her name, but she described some of the ways that she was told to destroy merchandise. We had a full hallway that was just lined with clothes on garment racks and then boxes full of track suits and bathing suits and all this stuff that we weren't able to send to the outlet. So because we weren't able to send it anywhere, we did have to destroy all of it and get rid of it that way. And then what happens to the piles of destroyed stuff? Does it at least get recycled? Sometimes it does, but other times it doesn't. It just gets thrown out on the street and found by people who are then really mad that these companies are being so wasteful. Where do we go from here? I mean, a lot of these places, like especially the fast fashion retailers, could just make less clothing. If they're creating this problem for themselves where they're making more clothing than they can sell, they could just fix that by making higher quality clothing and selling less of it. But um, that's maybe an idealistic pipe dream. Or at the very least, they could recycle it. Gabby, thank you so much. Thank you. Culture. Moogfest is an art and tech conference and music festival that takes place in North Carolina. It just announced an early lineup for next year's show. The accompanying press release touted the list of artists as being, quote, female, transgender, and non-binary. This didn't go over so well. And Anne Derek is here to explain what happened. Hi, Anne. Hi, Adrian. So Moogfest is experiencing a backlash over this press release. What's going on? So they're experiencing, I would say, a slight backlash. The One of the artists who is listed on the advance lineup was Caroline Polachek, of, formerly of the band Chairlift. And she was not happy to be included in a lineup um, categorized by gender without her permission. So she tweeted that she was furious to be included. And in the, the day the press release came out, and then she announced that she would not be playing the festival anymore because they did not ask her to be marketed in this way. And one thing that a lot of people... Um, latched onto was that she said, put me in the pit with the boys, Um, which a lot of people saw as kind of implying that having a lineup of just women, transgender, non-binary people wasn't good enough or wasn't appealing. It's starting to feel like there is kind of a a mounting pileup of backlashes and counter backlashes happening. Yes, exactly. And it's all surrounding this conversation of is having a festival highlighting just non-men, you know, necessary today in a day where people are trying to de-emphasize focus on gender at all, um, but also in a time where women still are super disadvantaged in playing music festivals and transgender people and women face violence in, like, all areas 
of life. So there are a lot of different issues swirling around tokenization, the difference between highlighting someone and tokenizing them. But um, just the reaction I saw online made me want to talk to different artists, especially the reaction I saw from one artist called Student. They called Polachek out for, you know, basically not understanding how privileged she was in this list of, you know, great artists that don't really have, that a lot of whom don't have the same exposure that she has. She's written a song for Beyonce and, you know, her marriage announcement was in vogue. So after I saw all that conversation, I decided to get in touch with the other artists from Moogfest. Um, Malibu Mitch and Nicole Mitchell, two artists that are going to be in the festival, um, were really thrilled of being included on the lineup. But the members of Upper Glossa were in Polachek's corner of not wanting, not appreciating not being asked before the festival marketed them as women gender nonconforming, and trans artists. What's the background here? Is there an issue with inclusivity in music festival lineups generally? Yes, absolutely. There, you know, every year people talk about how the music festivals are mostly men. And every year it seems like it doesn't really get better. So Pitchfork did a really interesting breakdown of music festivals earlier this year. They found 74% of festivals had men-only acts, and only 14% had women-only acts, and then 12% were mixed gender. But it's just still overwhelmingly male at these music festivals, even though people are super aware that there's a problem and, you know, feminism is really celebrated now. It's still not changing in music which is, you know, people who didn't appreciate what Polachek said. Some of the arguments were that if we don't highlight women, gender nonconforming and trans artists, they may not ever be highlighted because we're just drowning in a sea of male fronted music acts right now. Is there a better way that Moogfest could have done this in your opinion? Yeah, in my opinion, I think they could have avoided this if they had just reached out and asked everyone if they were comfortable with being included in this lineup. I think they still would have gotten a lot of people who would have wanted to be on the lineup. I think there's still definitely a place for women-only music festivals, not just for the artists, but for people who attend the shows too. I think there's definitely a market for that and a need for that just community-wise. What happened with Polacek? Polacek, so she dropped out um, and then she... After all of this conversation was swirling around online, um, she issued a statement clarifying her position. You know, she doubled down on the fact that she wasn't asked and wasn't happy about that. She clarified her statement about being in the pit with the boys and kind of saying she wasn't looking to uh, demean acts that aren't men. And she also said that Moogfest should be one of the festivals that just makes inclusivity a normal thing without necessarily patting themselves on the back or making it a PR move. Um, I totally respect her opinion and I totally disagree. I mean, they should have asked artists if they wanted to be on the lineup, but through this lineup, I found a lot of artists that I didn't know about, which I think was the whole point of them doing this advanced lineup. So I think Polacek is missing out on performing with a lot of great artists, but I respect her opinion that she wants to be asked before she's marketed in a certain way. 
And Derek Io is a writer here at The Outline. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Adrian. That concludes our show. If you like us, make sure you're subscribed in whatever app you use to listen, like Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, why not leave us a nice review? I'm Adrienne Jeffries. Thanks for listening. Aaron Edwards will be here tomorrow with more stories. <laughs>